biblical community, a powerful thought that has always uh, stuck with me throughout the years. Um, if you were in youth group and you were a, a student in a youth group, you probably have heard this statement as well. And that statement is this, that you show me your friends and I will show you your future. Show me your friends and I will show you your future because you will become like those who you spend the most time with. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible, the wisest man of all time, thousands of years ago, he said it like this in Proverbs chapter 13. The Bible said in verse 20, walk with the wise and you become what? Wise. But on the other side of the coin, he said, for a companion of fools, they suffer harms. In other words, show me your friends, and I will show you who you're becoming. And if you hang out with those who are passionate, positive, and faith-filled, guess what? You're most likely to become positive, you know, passionate, and full of faith. On the other side of the coin, if you hang out with people who are negative and critical and always full of bad attitudes, most likely you're going to be critical, negative, and always full of bad attitudes. Who you are, show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And unfortunately, in our society, uh, we just don't see a lot of strong relationships. We don't see deep, satisfying friendship. Just like we're experiencing right now in our country, a shortage of, of workers. Shortage of workers in the restaurants and retails and industries and factories. Just like we're experiencing a shortage of workers, today we also are experiencing a shortage of relationships. Sociologists, sociologists have called this a relational poverty. So many people are bankrupt when it comes to relationships. And, and, and there's a lot of theories out there as to why that is. One reason is that our society, our society celebrates independence. You know, I don't want to depend on anybody. I don't need anything. I can just do it on my own. And we have that mindset. And that's a society kind of pushed that. We're independent. However, we see throughout the scripture that God did not create each and every one of us to be independent, but instead to be dependent, to be dependent on him and on each other. Not only do we need to have a personal relationship with God, which is important, but that's incomplete. We see throughout scripture that we are to have a shared relationship with God. That we should all be connected to each other. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18. He said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Where two or three, you know, it's, a, it's the smallest form of community. It's just two or three. You know, and it can go on from there. But Jesus said, listen, I am there 
even in the smallest of relationships where two or three are gathered. Now, what's even better than experiencing God on your own? It's experiencing the power and the glory and, and the majesty and the goodness and the character of God with others. Man, just a few minutes ago, we sang such a powerful song. What a beautiful name. And we sang that together, a shared experience, worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But so many people have deep relationship. They're impoverished, relationally speaking. Uh, let me give you three thoughts here on why that is. Three thoughts on why we have relational poverty today. If you're taking note, number one, the first thought is increased mobility. Increased mobility. In, in other words, we don't just stay in one place for very long. The, the average Americans move once every five years. If you're between the ages of 20 and 40, you're gonna move on average three or four, one time every three or four, three or four years. And we just don't stay in one place very long, which doesn't really foster those relationships that happen because we're always on the move. We're always moving. And another thought, if you're taking note, is modern conveniences have gotten away. We're grateful for technology, but some of our modern technology, modern conveniences have kind of stepped in and got in the way of our relationships. It got in the way of relationship. Um, when I was living in, in Florida, um, every week, um, when I was, a, I was a young guy, you know, fresh out of Bible college, single, and every week there was this uh, older couple that just kind of took me in. And every week we'd go to lunch. And it's the same place, you know, and, you know it's the same place every week, and, and they, they, always, they always bought lunch, so probably one reason why I always went. You know, I was a young pastor with, no, with hardly any money. <laughs> so, you know, so it always took me in. And, and, and the man, uh, his name was Bill. I called him Old Man Bill, because he was like old, old man Bill. You know, and he'd always point with a crook in his finger, right? And then he kind of look like this. He got his glasses, real thick glasses, and just got, you know, and always got something to say. When he, when he points like this, I'm all ears. Uh, he got something important to say. He said, God, you know what made the South. And I'm like, man, I, I have no idea. You know, what made the South, Bill? Air conditioning. <laughs> I said, okay, well, that makes sense, air conditioning. And I think about air conditioning. Air conditioning has changed the way, in a lot of ways, and in our relationship and community. Before air conditioning, and if you're younger than me, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But before air conditioning, you know, in, a, in the evening, we got home from work on a hot summer day, it was too hot to sit in the house. And so what did you do? You hung out on the front porch. You hung out in the front yard. You, you played with kids on the street. You got to know your neighbors, you know? And then, and, and, and then air conditioning came along and everyone could enjoy the comfort of their own home at the desired temperature that they wanna be in. So all of a sudden, nobody was outside. People kinda of got forced in. And then to make it worse, as time goes along, 
You know, it, uh, it's those individualized entertainment, you know, asset entertainment that we have. We have, uh, everyone can have an iPad or a smartphone. You know, and, and so now instead of kids going outside and playing with the neighbor kids, we're all inside. We're being forced to come inside. We made the choice to come inside. It's easier to just stay inside, mind your own business, watch your own movies. In fact, families, you can be a family of five. You can all watch your own movie on a Friday night, whatever you want to watch. Everyone got their own little tablets. They're all doing their own thing. And we have found ourselves migrating away, you know, from real, deep relationships, modern conveniences. Here's something else. Uh, and again, if you're younger than me, this will not make sense to you. I, but along, you know, there, there was a day, you know, in fact, in the house, there was one telephone. It was a shared phone. It was, it, there was a cord, you know, that was attached to that handset, okay? And, and you know, you could play jump rope for one or two, you know, and, and not jumping over if you're not careful. But that was how it was. And when the phone rang, listen, this is, this is mind-blowing for those who are younger, but when the phone rang, there was no caller ID. You actually, you actually had to answer the phone. You're like, really? Yeah, oh yeah. You had to, you had to pick up the phone. You actually had to have a conversation. Hello, how are you doing? There was no texting. There was none of that. There was no sending a message through Facebook. I mean, you had to you pick up the phone. But everything changed with the invention of the answering machine. You see, the answering machine changed the game. And now, you don't have to answer the phone. You can screen your calls. So in other words, for those who are younger, let me explain. You know, so, you know someone calling, you don't know who it is. You let it rain about three, four, five times, however you set your answer machine, you know, and you can set it to rain eight times if you want. But after five or six times, you know, a little voice pops up and says, hey, sorry, we are not home. Please leave a message after the beep. And then we say, beep. And then you could be standing there listening to this whole thing. And if it was someone you know, it says, hey, Scott, you know, this is so-and-so, and if there was someone you wanted to talk to, you could just grab the phone and say, oh, hey, 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 man, hey, what's up? <laughs> it's a, hey, it's a, oh, yeah, I thought you were home. Yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, I, I, I was in the other room, you know. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and, and you have a conversation, and meanwhile, the answer machine's still running, beep, you know, you're like, oh, hold on, let me, you know, sometimes you just, you know, unplug it, you know, it's just, Crazy. Uh, it was just a, you know, but it worked. And if it was someone that was talking and said, hey, Scott, this is so-and-so, you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to that person. You just let it run. And you, don't, you don't have to answer the call. You don't have to have the conversation. And, 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 and so community, you know, because of modern conveniences, it has, has hurt deep relationships. We've got loopholes. We can avoid conversation that we don't want to have. We can hide in our house with the comfort of our air condition, with an iPad in front of us. Our lose connection 
But the real world, here, here's another um, theory or another thought on why we see relational poverty. It derives, if you're taking note, derives of social media. Derives of social media. Now, uh, listen, I, I think social media has its benefits. I have social media and I use social media for lots of different things. And uh, so sure, there are some benefits with social media, but at the same time, it's not the same at face-to-face contact. Not the same. Someone, one article I read said this, that social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. An epidemic of deferred loneliness. Well, think about this. You feel a little lonely by yourself. And so you post something on Facebook or you upload a picture on, on Instagram or you tweet something. And then generally speaking, you get instant, you get instant feedback. You're like, oh, someone likes it. Yeah. Or, or someone, someone gave me a laugh or someone gave me a heart or someone retweeted it. You know, someone said, hey, you, you look good in your selfie. And say, oh, oh well, well, thank you. You know, you, you put it in, you reply, so well, thank you for that kind comment. And you get this immediate feedback. But at the end of the day, it doesn't eliminate the loneliness. All, all social media does is just defers it. It just defers it. And so many of us were going through life with 400 plus Facebook friends. But at the end of the day, there's not one person that you can really call to deal with some deep issues of the heart. And so we're, relationally we're going through relational poverty in our lives. And my prayer today is that you will see the value and the importance of getting plugged in into a biblical community. And here's the key thought, if you're taking notes. For some of you today, you might be one community away from changing the course of your destiny, from changing the course of your life. You might be one group of strong, committed believers that you can do life with, to go, you know, to experience the highs and the lows, those who will lift you up, pray you up, encourage you, always have your back. You might be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. And we see, we read about the power of a strong community in the early church in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 42, if you will. The Bible said that they devoted themselves. In other words, it wasn't a half-hearted uh, community. This was an all-in deal. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so in other words, it was a community centered on Jesus Christ, not on sports, not, not, on, not on association, neighborhood association. They were centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers, don't miss this, all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. Verse 45, you want to see love? You want to see love? Here's love. They showed property and possessions 
to give to anyone who had need. The Bible says that every day they continue to meet together in the temple court, which is the picture of the church. They brought bread in their homes, which is a picture of, of life groups and discipleship groups. And they ate together with glad and sincere heart. You see, you may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. But I promise you, listen, I promise you, you're not going to stumble into it by accident. You know, a plug of your appliance is not just going to plug itself into the wall. You have to be intentional. You have to get plugged in. And you have to do the work. You have to take, you have to move into it. And so today, I want to talk about three qualities of a great Christian community. What happens when you get plugged in into biblical community? I got three thoughts here. Number one, when you're plugged into a biblical community, we feel at home with each other. That's the goal. One of the goals is, is, is the group to feel like they're at home with each other. They're at home with each other. But in order to do that, in order to feel at home with each other, you have to foster that trust and that intimacy and the relationships. Now, next weekend, we kick off our life groups. I promise you, that very first night, if, if you're a new person in that, in that, in that group, you know, it can, feel hard, it can be hard to foster that relationship on day one. But you give it some time. Because the goal is, I pray, by the end of your group, you feel at, you're in a group where you feel at home with each other. So much where you feel like you have refrigerator rights. Now, now listen, who has refrigerator rights in your home? All right, moms and dads. All right, listen, you have your kids. They can just get up you know, and have refrigerator rights. If you have close friends, they come in and, and they're so close with you, like, man, hey, if you want something from the kitchen, you just get it. You don't have to ask. You know what, mine is yours, but yours is mine. We're, we're family. We feel at home with each other. Now, it would be weird. Listen, it would be absolutely weird if I were to show up at your house that very first night and in the middle of a group, I get up. You know, you don't really know me that well, and, and I don't know you that well, but I just get up from the living room. I walk into the kitchen. I didn't ask for permission. I just go in the kitchen and open up the fridge. I'm right there. Somebody be like, whoa, what's happening? You know, what, you know, what, what is the pastor going to see in my fridge, you know? And I, I, you open up the fridge, and, and I start plowing through. I get myself a nice drink. Uh, you know, pop, all right? <laughs> and and I, I find some ham. I find some cheese. I look around in the pantry. I find some bread. And I come in back into the living room with my, with my ham and cheese sandwich, with a bag of potato chip. I didn't ask. And y'all were like, huh, huh. And then later on, you said, man, you, you would have no idea what Pastor Scott did. It came in my mouth. And I helped himself to a sandwich. And that's kind of weird. But wouldn't it be so weird that over time we have such a deep relationship 
where we have that freedom, where we say, hey, hey, whatever, hey, whatever I have is yours, whatever is yours, it's just, you're welcome. My kid, it's not weird when my kids do it. It's not weird when we have close friends. They just help themselves. We're fine. In fact, the early church, they had this. Look back here in verse number 44. The Bible says that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. The word common is a, it's a Greek word. It's actually kind of a, a familiar Greek word. Uh, you might have heard it. Maybe some, church, some churches, they would actually use this word as their church name. And, uh, but the word koinonia. Koinonia. It, it means unity. It means fellowship. Community. It means, if you're taking notes, sharing. Sharing. In other words, at the early church, they were such a family. They were so close-knit that anything they had was yours. I'm not talking about, hey, my, my end goal is not to say that you have refrigerator. you know, you can go into someone's house and just start opening up refrigerator. That's not what the point is. It's that the relationship is so deep that, that it doesn't matter. You care about each other. The deep intimacy. That's the end game. And the quality of a great biblical community, you feel at home. Number two, here's the second thought, is that you bring the mass. Second quality of great communities is you bring the mass. In other words, we all have our issues. We all have our flaws. We all have our, our dirt, our junk. And, and no one is perfect. And so a great biblical community is when when, when you can just bring the mass, you bring your mass. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 15. He talks about the power of a messy community. He said in Romans 15, verse 7, he said, accept, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And then he said, when, when we're accepted, by the way, when we're accepted in love in the context of biblical community, look what happened. It brings praise to God. It glorifies him. It glorifies God when we accept one another, when we love one another, when we, when we accept the mass of each other. Some of the best groups, some of the best groups I've been a part of it's when we can open up and be vulnerable and share our struggles. Some of the best groups I've been in, when, when, you know, when someone would say, hey, we pray for me, I'm really struggling with this. And they fill in the blank and they tell us what it is. And then instead of looking shocked, instead of looking, I can't believe I can't believe you. We respond in such a way of love. We say, hey, how can we pray for you? How can we hold you accountable? How can we help you through the mess? And here's what I found to be true. You ready for this? When one person opens up, I find it to be true that others opens up as well. That we're not just faking it with each other, but that will become real. We share the struggles that we're going through. It's amazing when a community comes together to support one another 
and to pray for one another into a better place and a better walk with God. See, a biblical group is a place for the broken, the crippled, to open up without judgment, to seek help from others. And so that's the quality of groups. We bring them out. Hey, listen, no perfect people are allowed. No perfect people are allowed. Be real. Be honest. And help each other out. Because your struggle and how you're dealing with your struggle can help someone else through their struggles. So bring the mask. Number three. Here's the third thought. We fight for each other. We fight for each other. Now Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he said, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion and is looking for someone to devour. See, you and I, we have a spiritual enemy. And he's on a mission to destroy you, to destroy your family. He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to take you out. That's the mission of our enemy, Satan. He is on a mission to destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. I want to show you, I'm going to show you something in just a minute. I'm going to show you a quick video. And I believe it's a great picture of how we should stand together as Christians. And in this video, you're going to see a, a water buffalo and her little baby. They're in the middle of Africa, surrounded by a pack of lions. And the lions are on a mission. They're looking for the weakest, the most vulnerable. And I want you to see the video right now, right here. Check this out. Now the lion, you see one here. There's more over here in a minute. But they're looking for ways to take out the little one, to attack. Now watch all the lions here in just a minute. They're going to find a weakness, an opportunity. And they're going to jump in. And they're going to attack this little baby. Mama's doing the best she can. See, Satan, this is what he wants to do. He's looking for the weakest, the most vulnerable. But here's what Satan forgets. That when he takes out one, you mess with one, you mess with them all. Yeah. <laughs> and that little baby... Water buffalo live to see another day. Ladies and gentlemen, if water buffaloes can come together and fight for each other, don't you think that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should too? We should fight for each other. Listen, the Christian life, the Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. It is a spiritual warfare happening. And Satan's on an all-out attack. 
And he's on it. He's on a draw mission. And sometimes we look at the world and we say, man, I think he's winning. But we know what happens. We know at the end of the day, Jesus wins. But between now and that time comes, we fight for each other. We stand for each other. We pray for one another. We, we, we get dirty when we have to. We say, hey, man, we're for each other. See, no one in here should have to live life alone. We're here to support you. We're here for you. You don't want to fight cancer alone. You, you don't want to hurt financially alone. You, you, don't want a, you don't want a kid, a child of yours, wandering off alone. What you want is the strength of community fighting for you, fighting for each other, standing up for you, loving you, encouraging you, praying for you. That's what we do. And for those who are on, on your own, listen, listen, if you're on your own, you're vulnerable. But my friend, you're one community away from changing the course of your life. You get plugged in. You know what happens when, when groups, when, when we're coming together, where two or three gathered or even more, when they come together and when, when we're at home with each other, when we bring the mess and, and it's a judgment-free zone, uh, when, when, when we fight for each other, you know what happens? The world notices it. The world is looking in. In fact, we see this here. In, 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 in verse number 46 and 47, Acts chapter 2, every day the, the, the church, they continued to meet, right? They broke bread. They ate together with sincere heart. Verse number 47, they were always praising and worshiping God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The non-believing world was, was, was looking in and said, man, you see the way they love each other? You see the way that they care for each other? Where they don't judge each other? Where they love each other and help each other? Man, I don't know, I don't understand everything they believe, but whatever it is, I want what they got. And it's true what Jesus says in John chapter 13. When Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. One of the greatest ways to let the light shine in the world is to love those within the family of God in such a contagious way that others want in. They want what you want, what you got. They want in. But some of you, you don't have it. You've got relational poverty and you don't even realize it. But you're one community away from changing the course of your life. It's time to get plugged in. It's time to get plugged in. It's not gonna, get hap it's not gonna happen by accident. You have to get plugged in.